Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. week and brett i missed you man i missed you so much i invited you to come on our other podcast that we've been doing together all week at trendy and i almost forgot what show we were on how did you enjoy your international break uh i mean i i have to say this week i've like legitimately been screwed up because we've recorded together so many times like i don't actually know what's happening anymore i just keep being like oh i have another recording day with toby wait how many covered in glories are we doing um yeah we're getting hazard pay for sure no i mean it's it's been really fun I, i've actually uh i'm very appreciative of all the extra time with you i i really have enjoyed some of our shows and now we're at our bread and butter right like we got our we got our soccer talk on uh we have a, a it was a good international break for the u.s they expelled some demons with ghana we got to see the the core absolutely pulverize them um so it's probably cathartic for a lot of usmnt fans um but yeah i mean i, I think it was great i'm i'm heading into positive eyes i'm excited for uh, a bunch of these matches this weekend so i can't wait <laughs> yeah i am uh i'm really excited for these matchups as well obviously chelsea arsenal is, is historically a banger and we also get city brighton which should be incredible and yeah. we are we are getting back to our study abroad program by going back to italy again for milan versus um versus juventus and so before we get into all of that, and because Milan versus Juve has such a U.S. flavor, I did want to linger for just a minute, Brett, on the U.S. men's national team, because this felt, I don't know why, this felt like a more important international break for them than normal. I don't know if it's because Greg is back on the sideline. I don't know if it's because <laughs> Gio is uh, back between the lines where he belongs, or if it's just the fact that they kind of reestablished their exact place in the world order, right? Like they go against up against Germany and they're still clearly overmatched by a powerhouse, but they go against like a bogey team like Ghana, who might've gotten their uh, number in the past. And suddenly they're blowing them off the pitch in the first half. So what are your current thoughts on the U S men's national team as we head into a really important summer for them in 2024? I mean, I just am, am happy to see, basically the the core i mean the, the thing that gets us excited like that we got to see pretty much all of it together against ghana um i mean now with balogun in the fold like that oh uh, my this god is, balogun balogun yeah. balogun when yes. was the last time you saw a u.s striker take the turn like that bury at u90 and like a just amazingly athletic classic uh, number nine goal rather than just being like Josie Altador lowering a shoulder to somebody and hoping to bundle <laughs> it over the line or Brian McBride, you know, just trying to be a little bit bigger and redirecting onto the frame. That was an amazing and very un US goal that he scored. Yeah, we've come a long days from the days of hoping like Edson Buttle was going to fill the striker void for us. So, um, I mean, Balogun is, I mean, he plays at a very high level for one of the big five leaves in the world. Like, this is a legit, I mean, I'm not going to call him world class. He might have a chance to get there. He's still a young guy, but... Um, I mean, he's a legit striker that starts for some of the best for, for some of the best teams in the world the last couple of years. So, 
this is, I mean, it's just exciting. Like, I mean, this is, this is the thing that I think you and I, all U.S. men's national team fans have been talking about for the last 10 years was like kind of getting to this moment. We have a bunch of young superstars. The, the system has produced these guys. They're all entering sort of that prime soccer age. And we got to see them all on the pitch at the same time. And the best part was it was against Ghana, who's tortured us in World Cups for years. So, like, you know, this is – I mean, it's just – it's great. Like, I, I mean – there's a lot of stuff you and I, you and I both have been through it this week. You more than me, but like the fact that we've got to enjoy that aspect of it, I, I'm I'm excited. I'm looking forward to see what's ahead. I mean, it's it's just it was just cool to see. I can't I can't I know I'm repeating. It's cool to see, but like that's the only thing that can come to my head is we finally got what we were waiting for. Yeah, I mean, between um, Wea Balogun, Pooley, Geo. And then uh, Musa, and even like Dest was doing a great job of carrying yeah. the ball forward. Um, so, I, like, I was so excited about what I saw, and I cannot wait till next summer. I mean, we might have to have summer editions of Covered in Glory as they get to host the Copa and compete against South America's best as we lead into the 2026 World Cup. And like, it's not only just like they look good in an international break. The uh, quietly, the U.S. men's national team has been extraordinarily well represented across Europe in the club seasons this far. Like, Pooley's back at Milan; he looks great. Uh, Way has been one of Juve's like more dangerous players. McKinney has joined them there and also looks like he's found his correct level, you know, top of a at a European giant, maybe not like Premier League build, but still definitely belongs. Uh, and as you said, Balogun is doing excellent in Monaco. Like, what can you tell the folks about who might not be following the men's national team all over Europe about their club performances this year? I mean, the guys are playing at high levels. This is it's surreal to basically think about how many guys, I mean, we have, we have players playing for the two best the clubs in the Italy right now, um, at least by their underlying numbers um, in terms of McKinney and way kind of alternating at right at like right wing back sort of, it's, that's actually a whole other interesting thing to talk about. Um, you know, Pulisic and uh, Musa are at AC Milan. Like I just keep thinking back like five years ago, maybe, maybe not five, but like definitely six, seven years ago, we would be going ballistic if one of these yeah. guys were just like coming off the bench every once in a while for a team that was in the top four in Italy. Now we're now they're starting for them, all alternating starting in some cases, but like we're we're like spoiled to this point. It's like, oh yeah, you know, we got a bunch of guys in the champion leagues, we got in Syria, this guy's lighting up Monaco, you know, Joe Scally's over here in the Bundesliga. Like, you know, this is it's just cool. I mean, it's just exciting to kind of it's exciting that this has become the norm. I think that's yes. the way that I'd look at it. It's like, this is, we are now just at a point where it's like, yeah, this is expected that the good American players are going to go play for bigger clubs in the world overseas. It used to be the biggest deal in the world. Like, I mean, remember like in 2009 when Landon Donovan used to go on loan to like Everton, Everton. Yeah. you know? And that was, I mean, that was like huge. I went nuts. I, I couldn't, I mean, as an Everton supporter, I watched every match. I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I thought it was the, the greatest thing that Tim Howard hung on for as long as he did at Everton. Like now it's just like, oh yeah, we got another guy over in the Premier League. Cool. Uh, whatever. Tyler yeah. Adams is playing for Bournemouth. Oh, big whoop. But Bournemouth kind of sucks. Like I, know. I like we it. just went we just went through all those guys and we didn't even bring up Geo. Geo comes oh. back. He's yeah. wearing the world's worst disguise. 
I have no idea what, like, is that really what the thing is? Like, hey, maybe everybody will forget about it if I go blonde. It hasn't worked for anybody else. Maybe it will for him. <laughs> maybe Greg won't recognize him anymore. But he comes back in. He gets a brace against Ghana. And at least for one night, him and Greg played nice. So I think that's still the lingering, like, you know, kind of bad smell in the room is that relationship between Greg and Gio and will it be able to hold up? Because I still think... I mean, I don't, I don't know. After that Balogun goal, I might change my mind. But I still think Gio is probably our most talented player. I think he's our most talented technical player, for sure. Um, I mean, like, with the ball at his feet. I mean, obviously Pulisic had, you know, this crazy run, like, Golazo against Germany. But, you know, on a consistent basis with the ball at his feet, it's Gio. Because Pulisic's big thing, I mean, the thing that that obviously I think Milan even brought him from Chelsea is, like, he is an elite like mover into space. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, so I think that's the the exciting thing about Reina is we've never really had like a technical superstar, if that makes sense, right? Like yeah. we've never had a guy that plays these crazy creative balls or you know just operates like a you know world class. 10 in tight spaces like we've never had that player we've always had guys that are pretty good at, at you know getting in the box we've definitely had like athletic guys that can get up and down and, and do some interesting things there but like we've never had that player and i think that's the exciting part about geo is like that's what he represents is that that next level of american soccer where you're getting these world-class technical players that like breakdown set packed in defenses that's something that, that we've never seen in u.s soccer before yeah well something we have seen in u.s soccer before is greg burholter on the sideline uh how did you feel seeing him back taking the pitch on uh against germany this is such a cop-out but like i don't really think like international managers really matter <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure Sc- Scaloni from Argentina is like not at all a good manager and they won the world cup. Like I really, it's about like the talent pool. I mean, everybody after the Netherlands match, you know, there's always the kind of armchair managing that goes on. We should have done this. We should have done that. And I was a big, like, yeah, why isn't Aronson playing? And then he got in and like daily blend stonewalled them in a one-on-one. Um, and so it's kind of one of those things where it's like, the way the U.S. becomes good isn't necessarily like Greg Berhalter or some top flight manager comes in. It's like Brandon Harrison goes from being like their ninth best player to like their 17th best player. Like that's yeah. the improvement that comes with national teams. And I think it's been proven. We, we've we've just seen a bunch of guys. I mean, Luis Enrique is a fantastic coach. He's at, you know, managers at PSG now. He had the Spanish national team and he really didn't do that much. Right. And this is like one of the best managers in the world. So I really think it's a talent pool that matters. So as long as Greg can like be professional about his relationship with players and not like just bench guys because of personal beefs that should be playing, I don't really have an opinion. Just stick a sock puppet on somebody and they can be a manager. It doesn't really matter to me. Spoken like a man still burned by the non-appointment of Jesse Marsh. I, I see you. I know you were hurt, and now you're just deflecting. I, I want Jesse to get a cooler job. I want him to be in the Premier League again. <laughs> that would be nice to have him back. Well, it is nice to have the Premier League back at all. So let's not uh, dilly-dally anymore, Brent. Let's go ahead and take our first break, give Caesars a little bit of love, and then dive into all the English action. 
You know, when the conversation turns stampers, I always go with my number one as Caesars. Let's talk about them a little bit, shall we? Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns rewards credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using this code. Listen up. Omaha full. The word Omaha and the word full. And then you place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. If you keep those winnings, but if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and over only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. New users and first $10 plus wager only. Must register with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager. Returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start gambling problem. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit GamblingHelplineMA.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or West Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, Brett, we are back. And let's go ahead and start with the banger we have on tap here, which is Chelsea, 11th at 11 points versus Arsenal, 2nd at 20 points. This game is Saturday at 12.30 p.m. Arsenal is plus 135. Caesars has Chelsea at plus 195. The draw is plus 240. Arsenal minus half a goal is plus 125, and Chelsea is minus 160. So, Brett, uh, we're coming off from uh, what we hyped up as potentially the most important match of the year, which was Arsenal, uh, who have real title aspirations, playing at City, trying to slow them. I'm sorry, not at at home versus City, trying to slow them down, and they pulled pulled it off, even though it was far more dull than we hoped. 
And actually, that sounds like I'm condemning them, but the fact that it was so dull is the most impressive thing Arsenal have done all season. They made City dull. Like that is just think about that. They made that juggernaut dull for 90 minutes of what I was watching. And it was through just a pure force of will and skill, holding them to only four shots and basically completely taking Holland out of the game. So no matter the tactics, I didn't think it was possible to do that. So full kudos to them, even if the winning goal was a fluke. What were your takeaways from that game? Um, I mean, that was the like the second team in three weeks to make City look dull. Wolves did it before. Um, my takeaway is it's alarm bell time for City. Um, in my opinion, uh, I think the, the thing that I think I, I keep circling back on is in past years, you've looked at the city teams that were in transition that maybe had some rough starts and it was always like, kind of like they were changing eras or looking to replace the key player or something. Um, this year, other than KDB, which is, I mean, it's a big caveat. I'm not, I'm not going to you know hide behind that. Other than KDB not being available, Pep has gotten everything he wanted. He's gotten Vardiol. He's got his center backs. You know, Stones is going to come back into the mix. Uh, he's got Doku. Grealish is, is back and healthy. You know, Holland and Alvarez. Alvarez has looked like he's taking another step. Phones and playing a bunch. Like, you know, Solva stayed. He didn't go to Barcelona. Like, they, he's kind of got his team. And that's what is concerning to me about where this is at. Like, is this KDB thing, like if he's really the thing that's going to change them, how vulnerable a city that this 32-year-old midfielder with a ton of miles on his legs, now dealing with like numerous injury-filled seasons, that he's going to save them? Like this to me is, is concerning. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get to more city in a minute and what Rodri's return might do to that team if it's going to rejuvenate them, or if the game against Brighton is going to be so chaotic and doesn't even matter, it's just going to be kind of a random <laughs> series of events that leads to a final number that's hopefully entertaining. But uh, besides the alarm bells for City, like how do you view Arsenal heading into this Chelsea game coming off? I that was a fluky goal, but it's still an impressive one. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, when those matches are kind of that evenly played and it's low scoring, I mean, that that can make or break something like you can't really hold it against them. Um, but I, I think the thing to me that was solidified with Arsenal is like this is one of the best defensive clubs in the world at this point. I don't mm-hmm. really think it's arguable. Um, I have had so much trouble you and you and I, I think both, I think I can include you in this without, you know, making you feel like I'm, I'm lampooning you, but like you and I have both felt like we've had trouble pinning down what Arsenal is. I'm finally starting to see it. And maybe it's Declan Rice related. This team is legit defensively. They are, they are easily a top five defensive club in the world, if not even better than that. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that makes this match really interesting. And, like, I don't know who the top five are in the world or is off the top of my head, but I know Arsenal does belong in that conversation. I still think City belongs in that conversation, particularly with Rodri uh, coming back and John Stones returning. And they're not there yet, but I think Chelsea's in the top ten. Um, just in terms of, of talent and uh, the midfield and the back line connecting and starting to really take shape. So what kind of match are we going to watch here? Now, 
Chelsea is flying high all of a sudden. Like they finally played the game against Burnley. We've been waiting for as they netted four times and Sterling put in a hazardous performance, completely blowing the other team off the pitch. The midfield trio of Enzo, Casado, and Cardio G is starting to take shape nicely. Palmer and Sterling are each playing like an inverted winger, creating a ton of dangerous chances for players all over the attacking band that we haven't seen from Chelsea in the last couple of years. And now they get Reese James back. Hopefully, allowing like the Cucurella at right back experiment to mercifully end. <laughs> um, that hasn't that hasn't been fun for you. I mean, it was fun betting on his yellow card. Like I gave that out last show, and that cashed almost immediately. Uh, so I think there's also some like reversion to the mean action here. Like we keep talking about it and seeing when it's really going to happen. Uh, after missing a million goals, they should have scored. They got another kind of fluky one off a crazy deflection on a Sterling uh, cutback just to open their account. So I am seeing positive signs from Chelsea, but I think both of these teams are capable of full defensive lockdowns, uh, even though Chelsea has started to convert just in the last couple of weeks. So what did you think of Chelsea's performance? Is that Burnley related for you? Or are you showing, seeing signs of life from them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's both. I, don't, I definitely don't think it's mutually exclusive. Burnley is, is definitely going to be one of the worst teams in the Premier League this year, I think, without a doubt. Um, but they did create a ton of chances against them, like right, like you can only beat who's you who's put in front of you. Um, but I, and the same token, it's been a general uptick. Like the attack is better. I know you as a fan have been frustrated with the the chances not being converted at the level you want them to, but the chances are coming. Um, so I'm actually pretty bullish on Chelsea. I don't know if they're on lucky start. It's going to kind of hurt them into getting into the race with like top four spots. That'll, you know, that's TBD, depending on how they can make up some things in matches like this. Um, I think they're, these two teams are probably closer than they were a month ago, but yes. I just trust Arsenal a little bit more at this point. Um, yeah. and I, I mean, it, the Chelsea attack, like springing to life and then, walking into a team that's probably a top five, 10 defensive team in the world. Not the greatest moment for Chelsea to kind of do that right now, even with all the positive things and injured players coming back into the fold. Yeah, I mean, I'm joining you. I'm suddenly excited for this match rather than full of dread. Is Chelsea need to level up and stop having such low expectations? And we're going to find out what the realistic uh, form is for this team between now and December 6th, when they basically play the entire top half of the table in their next run of matches. But I, I can't stop thinking about what Arsenal did to City. And if they could do that to the juggernaut, what are they going to do to the juggernauts that typically take the field <laughs> for Chelsea and cannot score? Good play. Uh, so I hope to be wrong, but at plus 135, the number is too good for me not to back Arsenal here after that impressive showing. And back to my uh, our, our point about Arsenal's defense and my point about Chelsea being not far off that level, the bet I really like is both teams to score no, which shockingly has a plus number in front of it as we tape on Wednesday night at plus 105. So given the defense, given the stakes, given I think a draw is a win for Chelsea, um, and I think 0-0 and 1-1 are the two most, you know, two of the three most likely score lines along with Arsenal 1-0. And to get plus number that one of these teams is going to fail to hit the back of the net against a tight defense, I think it's a great bet. Yeah, uh, you and I are seeing this match pretty much exactly the same way. I went a little further variance and kind of took a value play on the Arsenal clean sheet win is all the way up at plus 290, um, which just 
It seems very high. I think Chelsea is going to create about a goal's worth of chances. At that point, then, it's going to be kind of a coin flip whether one goes in and you're getting plus 290 on that coin flip, in my opinion. So that's some back of the back of the napkin math there for you but yeah i think you and i are right on the same page i think this is going to be a low scoring match i think it has the potential for a team to have a zero in the scorecard for for one of them um and i'm just kind of taking the value of the plus 290 and saying it's going to be chelsea's got that zero if you want to make a narrative play though brett i will tell you there is a long history of former blues scoring against chelsea after right after they leave the one that hurt the most by far was Frank Lampard scored for City against us and what was this weird when he was in sky blue and like had just come back basically from loan from uh, New York and his retirement at the MLS and then of course scores against us and uh, I think it, it created a draw and cost us two points and uh, really hurt us that season. So you already have read the room. Kai Havertz, anytime, <laughs> anytime goal scorer is plus three fifty, and if he's going to do it anytime, I believe he will do it in uh, Stamford Bridge just to kind of rub it in our faces. Although we've been pretty happy with the cash instead of the player so far. Oh, Kai Havertz coming back to haunt your dreams, buddy. What a world we live in. I, I just, world. I just don't want to be near you if that actually happens. Uh, well, no worries about that. And I don't want to be near you as you have to watch your Everton take on Liverpool in the Merseyside Derby. Liverpool is fourth at 17 points versus Everton 16th at seven points. This is the early game on Saturday, 7.30 a.m. Eastern. Liverpool is minus 295. Everton is plus 750. The draw is plus 410. Liverpool minus a goal and a half is minus 110 at Caesars, and Everton plus a goal and a half is minus 120. All right, Brett, um, we've been texting a little bit about this, and I want to give you the floor to address it. I call them your beloved Everton, but I think you've been having a couple of second thoughts. So here you go. Here's a safe space. How are you feeling about Everton during this potential ownership transition? And are you going to officially on this program finally declare your love for Brighton and abandon the Toffees up in Merseyside? Well, I don't think I might, I'll get the choice because the the shady entity, um, the 777 group that's, that owns a bunch of uh, clubs around the world, including Sevilla, um, the, the 7-7 Partners Group, uh, their financials are not coming through. <laughs> the Premier League has had some questions. They haven't been able to apparently showcase the the right documents as far as how they're going to be able to finance the, the sale, um, which isn't great because Everton's broke once Uzmanov's Russian oligarch money was pulled from their shadow shell companies. Um but I, I think that they are disgusting. It's like the the Dan Gilbert thing with like he's like quick in loans or whatever. They're just a predatory group. Um, and, and it's just sick. Like I don't wouldn't ever want to be associated with a company that I mean, look, I, it's hard to say this, too. It's like, where do you draw the line? Like we have oil states that, you know, obviously ban terrible things in their country. Homosexuality is punished in some of those countries. It's it's all gross in that sense. And you could really go down the rabbit hole. But like this one, to me, the way this company operates, the things they, they, they've they done, this this guy has done to build the 7-7 partner, 777 partners group is just 
disgusting and despicable. I mean, this group is just a, they're just kind of a gross business model. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to go on like an anti-capitalism rant or something here, but um, it just, it's one of those things where it's like, I, it feels just gross to to root for a team that's owned by an entity like that. I mean, I guess you could say the same thing for the way that they were owned before with uh, Moshiri and Usmanov. Like, I, I don't, I, again, you're very kinda, conflicted. You're very, I, well, conflicted I'm not, I'm not conflicted, but it is one of those things where it's like, where do you draw the line? Right. Like I could have yeah. left it when Moshiri came in and they were doing all this weird shady financial stuff. You know, it's not like Ken Wright and company were saints before then. Um, but this one, for whatever reason, just when I saw and I, I read the Washington Post article about this company and how they operate, and uh, it just it just struck me. It just made me like sick. And I, if they, if this takeover would happen, I would one hundred percent be like, "That's it. That's the last straw. Like I'm not doing this." And and I would run to Tony Bloom if, with open arms. Um, but as of now, the sale doesn't just go through. Do it. Life is too short. Life is too short to hate the team you're supposed to love. You have not loved Everton since I met you. You have your eyes all over Bloom and Brighton and everybody else. Let's stop pretending like you still love Everton and just move on. It's okay. It's okay. You have permission. We're all rooting for your happiness and you're staying in something that keeps makes you miserable. The way I would describe it is Everton and I aren't divorced but we're separated and living in different apartments and I've begun dating someone else. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so it's not maybe... technically a divorce, but no, I yeah. mean, because I think we've been on this, so we've been over this on the show too. Like the reason I, I became an Everton supporter was like David Moyes was kind of like the Billy Bean of the Premier League back when I started in the, in the mid aughts really following the club, you know, kind of selling a player to buy two and hitting on these undervalued guys. Like Seamus Coleman was like a $600,000 transfer fee. And, you know, he's been a servant of the club for a really long time. Um, and now who is the team that does that? Or one of the two teams in the Premier League that does that it's, it's Brighton and, and Brentford. Right. Um, and, and that's kind of what I've always respected. It's all in any sport, and, and you and I, I think, are similar in this. We love teams that just do smart things, that operate in a way that's ahead of the market. Like, we, you and I have a great respect for that. And Everton has not been that club for a very, no. very long time. Pretty much since the window they bought Davy Clausen, Gilfie Sigurdsson, and Wayne Rooney into the, into the team in the same summer transfer window is about the time that that went out the window for them. Well, I have enjoyed the fact that as you've been texting me about potentially leaving them, uh, they have started like cranking up the XG and suddenly becoming a like sneaky, somewhat okay yeah. team to watch. They're like getting two to three XG a game all of a sudden, and it's translating into goals and wins. Like, what has got into them? Have you lit a fire with your moving out and going to an apartment and seeing other women? Is this the right time to give <laughs> up on them? Or dare I say it, are they kind of frisky all of a sudden? They're they're definitely frisky. I think a lot of it is James Garner's been way better than I expected, and it's kind of locked down a spot. But you know they've they've brought in just guys that have been steady. Uh, and, you know they're mid the the Sean Dyche having I think control for a full year um, has kind of got them a little bit more coherent. I mean Lampard was I mean we have been over this ad nauseum. Yeah, come on, was come on. so bad, and to get somebody that's just like coherent, like even if Sean Dyche isn't the most exciting manager in the world to you. Like 
at least they have coherent plans with with and without the ball. Um, and some of these younger guys are starting to play well, like James Garner's playing well, Andre Onana's playing well, uh, DeCorey's found second life is kind of like a support striker. Um, somehow Adrissa Gay is still doing his thing as a defensive midfielder. And then they've got Jack Harrison, Dwight McNeil. Like those guys aren't going to knock your socks off, but they're they're solid Premier League, probably Premier League average wingers, I guess. Um, and it's all kind of coalesced and their set pieces have been great. Like James Tarkovsky, Michael Keane, those guys have been scoring goals, you know, on set pieces. Like it's just, they've kind of cobbled together something coherent, which shocked me because about after the Fulham match, I was like, this team is the 20th worst team in the league. But that, yeah. I didn't watch Sheffield at that point. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. The, the weird, the weird thing is, is they're like just behind Liverpool and XG. Now that is a, misleading number because Liverpool has played down a man for almost like an entire match basically this season. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a shocking turnaround for Everton. It would be very fitting if I announced that I'm leaving for Brighton and then they go somehow make a run of the top eight. Well, Liverpool on the other side, like that Brighton match was very entertaining just as we thought it was going to be. Yeah. And, they, and they blitzed the hell out of McAllister just as I thought they were going to yeah. do, which immediately led to a goal. Although the, he had a couple of very, very awesome turns and just moving the ball upfield too. So he got he got a little bit of his. He actually, I actually thought it was a pretty interesting tactical game from him, but didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, that's okay. Um, so, you know, he did turn it over. You're right. He did have some turns. And so there were some good moments and some bad moments, but it doesn't change. He's not a six. And mm-hmm. we all know how I feel about TAA and him not being a right back. So they, I don't think they are going to keep a clean sheet here. And if I don't think they're going to keep a clean sheet, then it's like, where do you actually draw the line here? Because they, then Liverpool has to win three to one to cover the adjusted spread. And I don't know. I, I like waffle on this quite a bit. I guess on current form, they've been taking out the Everton's of the world with ease. Like, you know, Brighton obviously can can look them in the eye and, and exchange blows with them with the Everton's of the world Liverpool's been beating up on as they go through the season. Um, and it is a, der- a derby and it is at home. I think it's a fair coin flip. And I have to give a choice here. So I'm going to take Liverpool, but I'd much rather play the prop market here, honestly. Yeah, I took Everton and I was the same way. Like you could have pushed me to Liverpool probably with just that little discussion on how you went through your process. Um, but I, I went Everton. I think it's going to be right. It's going to be right there. It's just going to come down to probably whether or not a, a decent chance goes in for one of the two sides. Right. Um, yeah. I there. I just to me, there's no market edge there. Uh, I mean, the the prop I did like, though, was. I think there are going to be goals in this match. Um, You have mentioned, obviously, some of the fact that Liverpool is not the same Liverpool when they were winning the title and competing for a title where they're shutting down games. Um, I didn't love a lot of the anytime numbers, so I got a little interesting with goal plotting, and I just took Mo Salah at plus 350 as the first Mm -hmm. goal scorer. So I feel like if there's goals, he's going to get one. I'm just kind of cross my fingers that it's the first one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Nunez is probably the biggest threat to that. 
I don't. I, I loved when they. I love when they play Diaz, Nunez, and Salah all together. Like screw it. Like get full Brighton here, and like let's play four one matches. Let's play four two matches. If you're gonna have defensive holes, no matter what you do, just make it up with more offense, and that's the trio to do it. Um, as I said, I don't think Liverpool is going to keep a clean sheet, and if I don't think Liverpool keeps a clean sheet, then the both teams to score yes. And minus 150 becomes kind of an auto bet for me because I don't think Everton is going to be either. And we've already covered like Everton's increase in attack recently and how they've got a little more frisky. We've already covered like what I think of Liverpool's defense. And they only have one clean sheet in the league so far this year. Uh, Liverpool does. And so I think this is a, I mean, minus 150 isn't something you get too excited about, but I think it's a more than fair number to reflect the trend that we're seeing uh, because on the other side of the pitch, Liverpool hasn't been blanked all season. So if they have let in a goal in all but one game and they've scored every game, it seems like this should be more than minus 150 that we see a similar result here. Yeah, I, that all makes sense to me. I mean, the, the thing I'm mostly hoping for is I've seen a bunch of these derbies get ruined by red cards, which definitely would hurt some goal scoring, at least for one of the clubs. So I'm just yeah. kind of crossing my fingers if you're taking a bet like that, that you just avoid the crazy derby red card and then you should be all good. Yeah, I don't know how long Liverpool's like living in the Continental where there's just no red cards are allowed against them, John Wick style. Like, given what VAR did to them, I still feel they have a couple of homicides they can commit and still only see yellow until the sting of that wears off. You'd like uh, to think if this world is just that they'd have some karma given the things that they've gone through, but uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see. As we know, the world doesn't operate that way. Yeah, and also, what world do we want to live in where I actually feel bad for Liverpool? Not, not this one, I'll Too, tell you that. Touche. Uh, all right, another team nobody feels bad for, but you've already started to dig in on is Manchester City, and they are third at 18 points versus Brighton, sixth at 16 points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m. It is worth setting an alarm for on the West, West Coast, even. City is minus 240, Brighton is plus 550, Caesars has the draw at plus 390. City minus a goal and a half is plus 100, and Brighton plus a goal and a half is minus 130. All right, so you've already started to say it's alarm bell time for him. I'll let you dig into it a little bit more. Is this a slump? Is it uh, because Rodri was out and Stones wasn't there to cover for him? Is Rodri actually City's second most valuable player after Holland, or is it still KDB? And if Stones was available, would Rodri's absence still have been so glaring? Or do you think this has nothing to do with Rodri whatsoever, and it's just a coincidence that they lost two matches for the first time in forever as he was suspended? It 100% has to do with Rodri. Um, there's multiple like kind of databases out there. I think uh, Davies is one of them that have Rodri as like one of the most valuable players in the world with the buildup of his actions for this team. Um, so he's a huge part of it. But again, they haven't been like great when he's played either, right? Um so I, this, 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 again, this is my, this is, I feel like we need to be on trendy. This is a gut. This is a heart thing. This feel, this slump feels different. It doesn't feel like you can just point to Rodri was out with the red card. That's why they've been bad. This just feels like Pep's got his team. I can't imagine that like KDB is going to come back and they're just going to like lift off into this dominating machine that he's built over the last five or six years. Um, I, something just seems weird, man. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I can articulate it right now. Maybe I need to see a couple more data points to figure out what is exactly, 
but it's going into my bet because I cannot believe Brighton is getting a goal and a half and it's only minus 130. Like, come on, man. These, this doesn't seem right. Like, they just went toe-to-toe with Liverpool, legit. I, and City struggled against Wolves, and they couldn't create anything against Arsenal. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I don't know if you need to see more data points or need more spreadsheets or actually just continue to watch the game. I think what I was most shocked by, um, besides, obviously, the giant hole in the pitch that, that Rodri would have full, is just how listless Holland looked. Like he he was way out of sorts. And I don't know if that's because he's not getting the service that he wants and therefore disengages. I don't know if after winning the treble in his first year, he's already thinking about his next challenge. I know that he came out the season starting strong, but these couple of games without Rodri and without KDB and without Stones, like this is the games that he needed to rise up and just carry them on his massive, gigantic shoulders. And he shrunk. He shrunk against Arsenal. Like he was not where he normally was. He didn't have his verb. He didn't have his panache. He didn't have his energy levels. He wasn't making the penetrating runs that I associate with him beyond just the otherworldly athletic ability, but also like the movement that just changes the gravity all over the pitch. Like I just didn't see any of it. And so, like, I don't know if this is mental, physical, there's some burnout. I like, I don't know what it is, but. If Rodri comes back and Stones comes back, I still contend they're not going to give up many goals whatsoever. And then they just need, you know, Holland to be at least on his B game and not his D game. And I think we're going to start seeing them turn into wins. All that being said, uh, I agree with you on Bright. Like, I agree with you. Like, I have no idea why this number is minus 130 for the goal and a half. Uh, I think, like, the range of outcomes here is massive. Like, Brighton could win by two or lose by ten. I have no idea. I just know that City with a plus number on the adjusted line versus a really great Brighton team just looks like a trap. And when I'm facing a trap or I'm facing a team in a slump and I think there's that much variance, give me the points. Give me Brighton on the adjusted line, minus 130. Yeah. uh, I mean, I – that that basically articulated everything that I had been kind of thinking about going into the match, right? Um, if it's going to be a high variance match, and that's the the exact type of style that that Brent wants to play, that logic is the way, the only way, in my opinion, that you can go. Um, but even though I'm taking Brighton with the spread, I'm stealing from you, Toby. I'm a thief. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. This isn't an embezzlement thing with our company. I'm stealing a bet. <laughs> Phil Foden. Anytime assist. Yeah. Oh, you this bastard. Is, what this I, is the, t- the type of bets. I know. I, I, I looked everywhere. I didn't want to do it, but I just kept coming back to it. And I said, you know what? You know, he bullies me. I just want to be like him and maybe he'll leave me alone. Um, but the phone anytime assist is plus 225. Uh, this is the type of open match where he's going to make some runs into space and then he's going to play a cutback and somebody's going to get on the end of it. This is a perfect type of match for Phil Foden to kind of get get on the ball and center a couple of passes back into the box, and you just got to hope somebody's on the end of it if you're going to catch it. Yeah, I mean, if this was trendy, I would be tailing that, and I am going to return the favor. It's my second favorite prop. I'll give up my favorite afterwards, but since uh, you stole from me, I have to steal from you. Uh, City, come from behind and win or draw, plus 310. 
something that you and I have been talking <laughs> about a lot with other teams this year. And if we're going to see high variance, and I, I don't think like City's out of this match whatsoever. I think the line is wrong, and I'm just playing the number. Uh, if Brighton gets the first one and you're sitting on 310 to win or draw, I would love that. The only reason I didn't make it my favorite bet is I think you'll have the opportunity to live bet it in this scenario where Brighton hits first, and you won't get that big a difference from the plus 310. So why lay it up front and take the risk that City breaks the net um, before Brighton does? My favorite one is because just because I, I I am not as down on City as you are. Like I often take the international break and it clears my head a little bit and I just start reverting back to like the core truths that I think about particular teams. And I still think they're uh, an amazing club that, you know, um, Come May, we may look back at like this conversation in October. Oh, I, how I, silly I, it was. I will have to say, like, I am talking about their problems in a relative sense. Like, I'm not saying they're falling out of the champion loads league. Oh, I know you. I know you're not, but you you are talking about them. Like, okay, they're not on the treble level they were last yes, year. That, that that's um, the best way to put it. Yeah. And so, like, they whether they're on that level or not, like, as long as they're a close approximation, they still are, you know, a, a Premier League power and is certainly a contender in the Champions League. So that was just a very long caveat for a pretty boring bet. Um, City win, both score, plus 140. So I don't want to have them win by two. I do think Brighton, with their crazy styles, with um, Deserby's complete lack of practicality, is going to be the first guy to try to take it to Pep at the Etihad in a quite some time. And like, I can't wait to watch that because so few people do it. And I think there's going to be fireworks. And so like, I can absolutely see city two, one, three, two, even like three, one, uh, whatever it might be. But I think both sides do get on the board and this way you're getting a much better plus number for city just to win. I like it. I, yeah, we, we are in lockstep with all this logic here. It's a, it's a mind meld tonight on covered in glory. All right. Well, let's see if we can break that mind mill on a team that uh, I love to fade and scream about, but we cannot ignore anymore, which is Tottenham first. That is first. Yeah. First at 20 points versus Fulham, 12th and 11 points. This is game is Monday at 3 p.m. So you can wait through the whole weekend. Spurs are minus 195. Fulham is plus 500. The draw is plus 330. Tottenham minus a goal and a half is plus 125, while Fulham is minus 160. All right, Brett, they're top of the freaking table, so I couldn't leave them off this week as much as I wanted to. Is it time, Brett? Is it time to unsuspend them? They have been entertaining, and I think might have even I might have even underrated their center back pairing a little bit, as they have been far better than expected, standing up reasonably well to Age's chaotic style. Are Tottenham back? Yes and no. Um, are they title contenders? Absolutely not. Are they back in the mix as a top six team? I think so. Um, this transition with our guy on just been uh, nothing short of remarkable. Um, but I, I, the, the one skepticism I do have, and probably the reason why I'm not even super bullish on their Champions League hopes, is I think we're seeing two things. One, they're clearly getting a little fortunate with their underlying numbers and the results that they're gaining off of them. But I also think we're just seeing a team that might be peaking in terms of their performance. Like, is this really how good this team is going to play all year with the, the collection of players they have? I don't think so. I don't um, think so either. Yeah. And so I think we're kind of seeing a combination of two things. I think they're better. 
Um, I, but I also think they're getting lucky and I think they're playing at like their 95th percentile level for a long period of time. So yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say that they're going to be in the champions league race at the end of the year, but I'm happy that they're playing this style and they're sort of back in that regard. I mean, I suspended them because of the lack of ambition and like the, I'm doubling down on the suspension if they don't find some way to attack the market in January. Cause now like you bank 20 points like Madison has been a spectacular buy. As I mentioned, I think uh, their center back pairing has been a lot better than I expected. Um, Basuma is having a bit of a breakout right now in the middle of the pitch. And you've got $100 million that's just been sitting on the sideline. They need to go in and show some ambition in January to actually be taken seriously. Because if you're going to be a fringe contender, if you're going to have a shot at the Champions League, if you bank this uh, – um, strong in beginning. I think, didn't I hear it's their best beginning since like 1960 or 1961? Like, it's some crazy period. This is when you spend. Like, back your boys. Go and do it. And so I'm willing to temporarily unsuspend them um, because they are top of the table. But I don't, is there such thing as double suspending them? Like, are they going to get like the <laughs> SMU death penalty if they don't spend in January? I think that is in play. So, like, this is this is the maximum amount of respect I can currently pay them by talking about them and taking them on the money line against Fulham. That's my peak right now. I can't even go to the adjusted line because Basum is out. And I know as soon as I start taking them, they're going to hurt me again. So I cannot shake the, the thought that they are frauds, but I also cannot ignore facts. And the facts are they are top of the table and a top of the table team should absolutely take care of Fulham and Hope. Yeah, I mean, you kind of said the phrase. Um, I I really, really, really want to know what went on with Ibasuma and Antonio Conte that last year because he has, to me, has been the catalyst for this charge in the early part of the year. Um, he's also the reason, his absence is also the reason why I am not backing Spurs and somehow staring at a Fulham bet, which seems gross. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, it's, it's been, it's been one of the most bizarre things I think I've seen is to see a, a pretty heralded move when Basuma went from Brighton to Spurs. I thought it was a great acquisition for them. Then Conte was like, no F this dude, I'm just going to run Hoiberg until he has no legs left. Um, and then they struggle. And then immediately the next season, a new manager comes in and Basuma is like the catalyst for this team catapulting past expectations. Um, it is, I don't really remember, I'm sure I'm forgetting some. My memory is not great. But it's been one of the more bizarre things that I've seen. A player kind of looking like a complete bust to being the engine of a team in just the span of a year um, between these two different managers. But he's gone, and to me, that is major warning signs because he does a lot for them. He yeah. wins the ball back. He drives the ball forward. He's been getting on the end of things. He covers an insane amount of ground in the midfield for them. Like, Fulham isn't a, an attacking juggernaut. I can't even say that without laughing. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I just think that absence is massive for them. Um, and so I had to take the full I at minus 160 at plus 1.5 is freaking gross. Uh, but I just have no faith in this team without Basuma around because he's been so good and so fun for them to watch. But 
the bet I will take because I think it's going to be even more helter skelter for them than normal is now I'm bringing in the come from behind and win bet with Spurs because that baby's plus 600. Um, So I think, and and both of those bets obviously can hit, obviously you can get the Fulham early goal or crazy match where they're going back and forth and, and get that one goal Spurs comeback win. So um, I, I really like that bet of the, of the two, that is my favorite because I just think this game could be completely wild without Basuma there. Yeah, I will also be playing the prop market over the line. And Brett, uh, I've had a very tough week. I was kind of telling you about it beforehand. The hilarious amount of obstacles that keep getting in the way of my move. Um, so I'm a little bit down right now, but there's one thing in life, Brett. There's one thing <laughs> oh, in life that cheers me Here we go. up. And that is a corner bell. Yeah, it's back. I had to do it. I am treating myself to a corner bet. It's not just because I want to lift my spirits. It is because the last five Spurs games have featured a remarkable 70 combined quarters as ages zero Fs given is resulting in a ton of trips to the sticks from both sides. And I don't see any reason it should stop in this game. And if the line was available, we are taping early. This game's not till Monday. We had to tape uh, on Wednesday night because of my schedule. I would adjust this up if I could. I would adjust this up and do the 10 and a half, the 11 and a half. Ooh, dare I say the 12 and a half. Wow. To me on a Wednesday night is the nine and a half, which is minus 150, which I am banging. I'm just happy to see that um, jolt of energy go through you every time a corner bet hits. It's unbelievable. Like, it's not even you acting. Like, this is legitimate Toby enthusiasm for a corner bet. I know, I wouldn't know if Toby's playing it up for the crowd. Like, this is genuine Toby Mergler emotion right here. And I love it. I know, you know, enjoy it while it lasts because it's kind of like Haley's comment. It's a long time coming and doesn't last for long. But come (laughs) on, man. Quarter bet, Spurs, nine and a half. They are absolutely hitting this. I, 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 look, I'm trying to be retracting every single bet I make and how I do against different categories and things like that. I'm very transparent on this show. We have a five pint pick off. Like, I always like to tell you my record, whether it's good or bad. There are certain things that I have blind spots to. My Chelsea record isn't exactly stellar. My cred picks aren't, aren't doing great on Trinity right now. But the one thing I got, the one thing I got Corner is quarterbacks bet. Well, I, I think you just I, I think you solved your, your cred pick problem right there. Is your yeah. cred pick just needs to be cornerbacks every trendy episode. I, and boom. I, want, I want people to come and listen to this one. So <laughs> keep this as a cornerback exclusive for uh, it's true. It would it'd be like a world cup every two years, you know? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, that was a really fun trip to the Premier League. So glad it's back. It's going to be a great weekend uh, domestically. But we do have a another edition of Studying Abroad. And this one is kind of a quasi-American edition. So we will take a break. Uh, we'll put a graphic up for the Five Pine if you don't want to join us in Italy. But otherwise, we will be right back to talk about AC Milan and Juventus. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. 
S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, Brett, uh, as promised right before the break, let us take our trip back to Syria, where we find AC Milan first at 21 points versus Juventus third at 17 points. Sunday at 2.45 p.m. AC Milan is plus 124. Juventus is plus 240. The draw is plus 215. AC Milan minus half a goal is plus 125. And Uve is minus 160. So we covered Milan earlier in the year for their derby against uh, Inter. And so, Brett, I want you to not tell us a little bit more about them because we already covered them. But what can you tell us about the old lady and how they are doing this year in, in Turin? Um, it's nothing special. Uh, it's just, they've, I think they've, after some years with their big financial scandal and everything and some players leaving and Pagra's injuries and suspensions on us coming back, they found this like weird three, five, two formation that I think it's one of those things where it's like, it's not going to win Syria, but given where they've been, it's going to raise their floor while lowering their their ceiling a little bit because they it just kind of makes sense. They got three pretty decent players they can rotate in at center back. They've transitioned Wea. This is actually where it gets interesting. The Wea as a wing back, I yes. it kind of has shades of Victor Moses, Toby, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, yeah, and so and McKenney has actually played out there. They've kind of stole the intermodel too, where they like aggressively sub their wing backs, which I think is interesting. Um, they 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 kind of play the the front too, um, and that's uh, Vlahovic and um, Moise Keen, Moises Keen, who's former Everton great, has played up there. Uh, but Milik, uh, famed Polish international, gets kind of <laughs> overshadowed by uh, Lewandowski. Um, comes in as like a super sub and he's actually been really good for them this year. So it's, it's kind of like a poor man's inter, like straight up. They, they play the same formation. They sub their strikers and their wingbacks. And again, I don't think it's going to be something that's going to get them to the title, given their overall talent level, but it's made them more competitive this year. Um, yeah. So they're kind of back. I, I don't think it's going to be like a thing where you're going to watch them. It's kind of like watching Atletico Madrid when they've been, you know, f- a fairly good team is you're like, I get they're good, but I don't really want to watch you. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's kind of where you're at with this club. 
Well, I'm dying for Don Conte to just take over this project. Like, if you're going to be a poor man's enter, hire Conte and make him a rich man's enter, like, immediately just based on his guidance. And you think of what he did to Victor Moses was impressive at Chelsea. Like, I'd love to see him work with Wea and then have that translate over to Wea's appearances on the national team. Because I think he's been solid this year. I think he's kind of looked – he looked like he belongs, and I think he's leveled up from his previous club experience. As I said earlier, I think McKinney has found a good place for him, which is awesome at a classic European superpower uh even though it's not in the premier league rabio is still doing rabio things in the midfield uh they clearly at lack some of the historical oomph up top and i think they're a long way from you know that that incredible run of teams that like terrorize the syria for a decade straight but i think they're back i think they're back yeah and making the league more interesting for sure yeah, and I mean, and Chisia being healthy and also playing up at the striker spot as well. Um, I think he started like six or seven matches for him. Um, it, it's been kind of interesting. He, he's kind of one of those like guys that's more of a winger now playing as a strike partnership. So he he's not like the poacher goal scorer that you're used to up there. Um, but he's like a talented player. I've always kind of liked his game, I guess. It's more of a basketball thing to say, but um, you know, it, again, they, they just got some interesting pieces. They're putting them in interesting spots. It's just kind of, I mean, de- depending on your view of the scandal, <laughs> but it is kind of nice to have like this traditional soccer power, like be back in relevant again. You know what I mean? Like I, I do think sports are better for it when the old story clubs are, are still in the mix in some level. I, and it's not even a matter of like the oldness or the how how great a history they have. Like I just want as many great teams in Italy as possible, right? Yeah. Like, like you know, the Premier League suffers if it's just City and then everybody's level below and then they walk the league. But and I thought the Serie A like suffered from that for a long time when when Juventus was doing the exact same thing. But if we have AC Milan, Juventus, Napoli, Inter, Roma. Uh, under Mourinho and things like that. And like all of a sudden, like all these historical teams are all playing at a relatively high level with none of them at an absolutely next tier level. It makes for a far more exciting league. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And Atalanta is back kind of to a halfway decent start with their underlying numbers. And I think they're in sixth place. So you know, it, it's good. Competitive leagues are good. This league, when we did our first, I think, yeah, our first study abroad, we did talk about this. Like, this is the most competitive league in the Big Five right now. And I, yeah. it's inarguable at this point. And Juventus being back is only going to kind of add to that argument. Yeah. Well, over on the other side, Chelsea needs to watch their back because Milan keeps making a strong play for my heart. I mentioned this on Trinity yeah. the other day that I would love a service that you could turn on when you're open for sports enjoyment, like when you're open for work on LinkedIn, and you immediately get alerts to things like OT power plays and regular season hockey that you wouldn't watch otherwise, but you'd absolutely watch if you had nothing else to do and you're uh, looking for something. But I would like to make an announcement here. I do not need to click a setting that says I'm open for excitement, that I'm ready for uh, to watch sports. Anyone within the sound of my voice has immediate permission to contact me by any means necessary. Anytime an outfield player has to put on another man's jersey and step between the pipes yeah. as an emergency goalie. What 
in all of sports is better than this. And the fact that it was my guy, Oliver Giroux, are you freaking kidding me? I could have watched that for 10 days straight. It was so great. And then he has to protect a lead and he, um, that was created because Musa assisted a Pulisic goal, like, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes before the red card to, to uh, Mignon. And then it was Giroux that came in. Are you kidding me? I see you, Milan. I see you. I see you. I'm suddenly in love. That was an incredible game last week, and I am here for it. Well, wasn't wasn't that part of the story? Didn't Pulisic came out and said that he actually like volunteered to be small? Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was part of the story that I saw. Um, yeah, that would I mean, have been so great. That would have been so great if Drew, after he made that incredible like gather where he stuck his face in front of the guy's boots and then uh, and then smothered the ball. If he just looked at Pulisic and gave him like the basketball too small sign, like held him, <laughs> held him right above the ground, that would have been oh, the only way that man. that game could have gotten any better. Oh and the pooling goal was amazing. Like yeah. that pooling goal, uh, hitting that turn like that. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll give away my prop pick now. He's plus three uh, 30 as an anytime goal scorer. And he looks like restart Pulisic. He looks like he did in Chelsea right after they came back from COVID where he was one of the best players in the entire premier league. He turned into Maradona against Germany and scored that incredible run against like five guys in the buried in the upper corner. He's killing him for Milan right now. And you're still seeing plus three thirty on the anytime. Give me that on the prop all day. Yeah, I mean, this has been a, a perfect move for him. Like this, this league plays a little bit differently than the Premier League. Uh, I think this team needs his movement more than other or than Chelsea has. Um, his shot totals aren't great, which is slightly concerning. Um, but this team doesn't shoot a ton in general, which is an interesting kind of philosophical choice. But he really fits well here. I, I, it's. This was a great move for his career. I I really can't overstate that. Like, well, it's it's not that Chelsea doesn't need his movement. I mean, like you correct me if I'm wrong here, but like there there might be the same number of parked buses in Italy as there is in the Premier League. I'm not sure what the stats say on that, but like they don't have the same level of talent at the Minnows as there is in the Premier League. Like even you know Everton or. Uh, Bournemouth or things like that. When they park the bus, they have like big rugged guys who are highly talented who make millions of dollars to do it. If, you know, Genoa parks the bus or, you know, one of the lower five teams parks the bus, like they just don't even have the guys that can actually stop somebody from like Pooley from having that movement and filling the space. So the fact that he can uh, have more space for a team that in a league that generally allows for it and a team that faces fewer parked buses than he did at Chelsea in the Premier League when they were really rolling, I think just shows his like talent coming through and what he can do if he has space and he's not just getting two-footed every six times on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I also think it's kind of like the basketball lineup thing, too, where, you know, he's playing across from Drew and Liao. And so you have oh, this perfect comrade. What I love Liao. Yeah, love he's, so he's fun to watch. Um, but so you have this guy that plays a ton with the ball at his feet, like Liao is their creative hub in the attack. And then you have Giroux, who's kind of like this static, especially at his age now, the static backboard when he's not doing great goalkeeper things and giving the too small sign to somebody in your dreams. Um, so you have this like perfect mix of skills in the attacking band for, for 
Pulisic's movement to to really shine too, right? Yeah. You have a backboard at striker. You have a guy who's really good with the ball at his feet. He fills in the gap as the, the guy that's making runs in the space that these two are occupying or creating. Um, and so it's it's a really good mix of skills. Like you're starting to see this group that's behind Milan, the, the Redbird Capital Group, like you're starting to see their influence here. Um, and I, I mean, they're good. They're, this is... Uh, this is a legit team. I, I was skeptical until they basically slaughtered Newcastle, who's been pretty good in the Premier League, um, that somehow that game was a draw. Uh, and that's actually kind of my reasoning to take them on the money line in this match is Juventus has been good, but like this Milan team has played good teams, Toby. Like we, yeah. we did the one, we did the match against Inter. They've also played Dortmund. They played Roma. And then they play Newcastle. Juventus has not played anybody good. <laughs> and so their underlying numbers probably are a little more flattering. And so you're getting plus money from Milan to win. I just think that they're they're a clear level above, and I'm not going to ignore plus money at that point. Yeah, I mean, the game's going to be extra interesting because Mignon is suspended from his rampaging rugby tackles that led to Jerusalem's heroics, <laughs> as is Theo Hernandez. And Uwe will oh, be with most overrated left back in world football. Don't even get me started on Theo, but continue. <laughs> All right. Well, we got to wrap up here. Um, Juve will be able to be without uh, Chiesa and Danilo, and obviously Pogba's still out for them. Uh, but it will be contested at the legendary San Sero, and I'm probably still riding high from last week's game, which was so amazing, and the intoxicating allure of a torrid affair like you have with Brighton. So I am also joining you here on the money line, taking Milan. It will likely be the best game in Europe this weekend. I've also already given out my prop bets, so give out your prop bets and we can get to the five points. All right. And so my prop bet then is going to be Milan to win and both teams to score because one of my favorite goalkeepers is out of this match. And so yeah. if I like Milan to win uh, without the beast in between the pipes, unless Giroud's making another appearance there, that might change my mind on a clean sheet. Um, I'm going to take Milan to win in both the score. It's kind of my way of doubling down on what I think is the better team. And obviously with the big hole at goal, I think the chances are that it's not going to be a clean sheet win for them. What's the line on that? It is plus 400. Whoa. Pretty darn okay. good odds. If you ask me, Toby. Yeah, I mean, you, you talked me into it because I was looking at the over for similar similar reasons with Mignon out and uh, a little bit more of an open game, perhaps, as a result. Uh, the over is only plus 120. So to take a side and align it with the over, getting plus 400 is a great way to attack the market. Kudos to you. I'd say it in Italian, but I do not know how. Uh, <laughs> So that's, that's next. We'll do Rosetta Stone live on Covered in Glory. <laughs> well, I, I there's one uh, there's one word I know very well in Italian because it is the single cockiest move ever done in corporate America. Um, it's a spaghetti sauce that you sells in grocery stores nation, nationwide, and its name is Prego. And I didn't get it as a kid until I went to Italy and found out that Prego means you're welcome. So they are just presuming that you are spending your money on their product and thanking them for that privilege in the very name by responding, you're welcome, on the label. That I did not is a know ballsy that. move. If you make it all the way to the end of Covered in Glory, folks, look at the knowledge that gets bestowed upon you. Yeah, come for quarter bets, stay for the one word Toby knows in Italian. 
Uh, all right, let's get over to the five point and get everybody out of here for those that did stay this long. We both limped into the international break. You got a slight lead at 2.2 at 1.9, but I feel refreshed after a week off and ready to make it back this week with the following picks. Chelsea Arsenal, both teams to score no, plus 105. Liverpool Everton, both teams to score yes, minus 150. Uh, Milan on that money line at plus 125. City to win and both teams to score at plus 140. And of course, Brett, corner bet. Tottenham Fulham over 9.5 corners, minus 150. Ejected into my veins. I the thing I, I know that I've I've spent too much time with you on this show is I was going to ask you when you made that, I was like, if you're going to get this excited, it better be on the five pint. And I didn't even have to think that I was like, yeah, it's going to be on his five pint. Um, (laughs) But for my five here to to wrap things up, I got Brighton at plus 1.5 at minus 130. Um, I have the Arsenal clean sheet win at plus 290. I have Everton plus 1.5 at minus 120. I have the Mo Salah first goal at plus 350. And then I will also be taking Milan on the money line. Toby, let's have a better. We've struggled on Trendy. We struggled before the international break. Let's pick it up. Let's make a vow. These bets are going to be great for everybody. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling great about this week. I think uh, I'm slightly under on the year, but you're over on the year. So if you're still following us, you're still doing okay and hopefully having fun along the way. As Brent mentioned, he is my opponent on Trendy this week. So if you somehow want to listen to us talk even more after this hour about sports, including me bullying him over an outlandish selection on the Zozo Open, which is a thing, allegedly, uh, please tune in on Friday as we pay off the end of our contest and go back and listen to Wednesday's episode because it's largely about events that haven't happened yet. Um, We also, of course, have uh, extra points that came out today. We have waiver wire, which covered a slew of injuries in the NFL, along with uh, Martin Weiss and Mark Gunnels digging into the Lions and if they are actually the best team in the NFL this season. Upcoming, we still have the 15-minute pregame show, which we are super proud of here at the network and continues to rack up excellent viewership numbers. So I don't always give plugs on this show, but I'm, I'm really, really excited about everything that's happening at the Extra Points Network. And I hope as a soccer fan, you will have an open mind about some American sports that we're talking about everywhere else. So, Brett, any final words for everybody else before we sign off and send them into the weekend? Uh, yeah, just please start a letter writing campaign to Extra Points HR so I can stop being bullied by my co-host on Trendy and covering Gort. So, well, yeah, you know what? Good. If I hit it off quarter, oh, and subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can build uh, some viewership and maybe do some cooler stuff for y'all there. There you go. If I hit enough quarter best, maybe we can finally afford an HR department and you will get your justice. <laughs> we'll, see how, we'll see how that pans out in the Tottenham game this weekend. See, um, really looking forward to all these matchups. Hope you enjoy them. And we will see you next week for our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. Take care, everybody.